Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, for 25 years partnering with donors and nonprofits and communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning we'll be talking about co-housing and local agriculture in Belfast. And I'm delighted to have some guests in the studio and we'll be joined um, by more uh, guests by phone uh, who can help us with that topic. You can participate as well. If you'd like to write down this phone number, you can call us a little later on in the program. Uh, toll free at one 866 625 9378 or locally 469-0500. In the studio with me, I'm ha happy to have Sana McKinn back with us. Um, she's the project manager for Belfast Eco Village. Welcome to you, Sana. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And um, joining Sana is Anne Halley. Um, Anne is an equity member of the Belfast Eco Village and a farmer. Welcome to you, Anne. Good morning. Um, let's get started with each of you giving us a little bit of background um, about yourselves. How did you get into this? Um, Sana, you're coming from a, a different kind of organizing um, work. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that and what led you into this work as, a, as the project manager for Belfast Eco Village. Sure. Um, well, I uh, was most recently at Maine Businesses for Social Responsibility as the executive director. And <clears throat> it was a great uh, opportunity to uh, be blending and mixing with some of the most innovative and forward-thinking businesses in Maine. And so I just had to go off and try and be one of those. <laughs> um, and I also have been following uh, the co-housing movement since it came to the United States in, in the 80s. Um, came from Denmark, and I'm my mom's Danish and hopefully listening to this. So, um, so it really, you know, it was a perfect blend, and I have some agricultural background and just seemed like the time was right. Great. Um, Anne, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started with farming? Um, wow, that, that, that seems like a deep question. But, uh, <laughs> I, I guess just my participation, I, I'm, a, I'm a Mainer, um, born and bred, and um, I've been basically pursuing ecological agriculture for probably almost a decade now. And um, yeah, most recently I um, farm on a beautiful piece of land in Troy, and I grow um, nursery crops, specifically uh, nut trees and um, grafted fruit trees for Fedco. And um, 
as it relates to this project, uh, my partner and I and our daughter, Aveline, who's two, um, we really are committed to a rural lifestyle, uh, living off the land, um, living low impact. We do live off the grid. Um, and I guess to make that circle complete, uh, we need a more urban setting to do this kind of living in. And so that's really been a, a big driver for us is, is wanting to live right outside of an urban center where we can walk and bike to um, have the community that that um, you know we're um, passionate in creating. Mm. That's a great um, lead-in to this notion of, of co-housing. Um, uh, thinking of Belfast as both an urban place and a, a rural place, and you talk about that in the in your literature, um, Santa. What tell a little bit more about that story? Sure. Um, well, the the particular piece of land that we purchased in July is. Uh, a 180-acre farm that's two miles from the center of Belfast. And so it is this unique opportunity to, uh, you go out there and you feel like you're in Thorndike or Montville or all the places we want to live. Um, however, you can bike and walk right into town. And and um, the land just really spoke to us right off the bat because it was um, the perfect piece of land to develop into house lots. And that we've seen that so many times along the coast here. And, and uh, I was once a on the board of Friends of Midcoast Maine and really was my my awareness around smart growth issues was really heightened there uh, as well as at the Audubon Expedition Institute which is sort of how do we live um, on the land more lightly in a way that makes sense and this piece of land just said it's here <laughs> so and and I think co-housing is about clustered housing and really um, thinking more about how we get more more social and community life out of living together instead of spreading out on these two-acre lots. Mm. So it's a kind of a, an answer to um, what we think about it as sprawl. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's bringing people closer together, and in this particular case, locating near enough um, to a, an urban center that you enjoy all the benefits of that and perhaps can um, bike or walk there. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the concept of co-housing. Um, and we've got another guest on the line, and we can um, bring her into the conversation in just a minute. But y why don't you start with a, a definition, if you would, of, of co-housing? Sure. Um, co-housing is uh, it's about clustered living. It's about pedestrian-friendly neighborhood. Uh, so the cars are uh, always on the periphery so that you have a safe, easy way to bump into each other. Um, uh, it's about... Um, uh, having a common house, which um, some people think of as sort of a community center or a clubhouse, but it's essentially the heart of the community, and it's where um, it's the way that we can make our homes, co-housing homes, smaller and uh, and more affordable. Is that you take all the things that we might want to do together and you put them in there, like mm. extra guest rooms or a or a kids' playroom, so we don't all have to have kids' playrooms in our homes, but they can get together with kids and play with blocks together. Um, and uh, participatory design is a big piece of it, too, so that everybody is involved in, in the programming of what should be in the common house. How should these houses be laid out together? Uh, how should, uh, what should we have in our homes? And then once the thing is built, once we've done the real estate development phase of it, which we're all learning, um, uh, once we've done that, then the community is the governance of that. Um, so there's no outside uh, company that is running the condominium association, mm -hmm. which is what it ends up. Co-housing has often been described sort of as an old-fashioned neighborhood. So I, I think th the heart of it is that you're you're striving to live um, with less and to live with each other, and that's the intention behind um, why people might come together to live this way. Um, so you're choosing to have a smaller personal home. 
um, you're choosing to use less land to have your homes on, um, sharing things like parking, and and then um, the gain is that you you get neighbors and you get people that um, are also interested in pursuing this kind of lifestyle with you. Mm. And um, the common house is, you know, what we'll get into more later, but it's, it's just a wonderful way to actually create space for all all of those sorts of activities to happen. Mm. I, I just think when I've read about co-housing, I also, um, this is moving on towards the Thanksgiving season, and so you think about the, you know, the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and you imagine um, coming to a new place and saying, how are we going to settle this new place? And they probably didn't, most of them said, let's settle together. <laughs> let's create a place where we can see each other. They had um, to. They had to. And, and that's what our future is going to be also. Right. So in, in past is, is present and future. Let's um, bring Diane Wiley into the conversation as well. Diane is a, a current member of the Pioneer Valley Co-housing um, Project in Massachusetts. Diane, welcome to uh, Talk of the Towns. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in co-housing um, at first and, and what Pioneer Valley is like. Uh, I learned about it through a Friday night slideshow in 1989 by the architects who brought the concept from Denmark to the United States. Uh, Katie McCammett and Chuck Durrett um, went over and studied the communities in Denmark, wrote a book, and started working with some groups that were happening in Amherst. And I went Friday night and saw a slideshow and a talk and just couldn't believe how much sense it made about uh, sharing lawnmowers and uh, laundry machines and uh, shared babysitting. And I was a single parent with a three-year-old at the time. So um, I started going to meetings of one of the groups and ended up uh, working with them to develop the community we have now, which is a 32-unit uh, community on 27 acres. We built on five of the 27, and there's about uh, 55 adults from uh, early 30s to an 80-year-old, and we have uh, 35 children. Um, we've a lot of them have gone off to college, including my daughter. I've lived there for uh, almost 15 years now, and um, it was just a very exciting way to uh, reinvent, as you said, the past and the future of. Uh, clustering our buildings, making them a little smaller. We have a, a 4,000 square foot common house with a library, kids' room, laundromat, uh, a great room where we have uh, common dinners twice a week that you can go to or not. You sign up for them ahead of time or, or you don't. We also have an, another uh, building where we have a wood shop and a craft space and uh, people can do their, their uh, projects in there. And then we also have an office building that uh, five members built themselves um, for their home businesses, and the community gave the land to their building in exchange for use of a uh, fax machine and a uh, conference room and a copier. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of uh, complementary activity, and uh, also the, the um, sharing, taking care of kids or taking care of someone who uh, comes home after a surgery and needs to be taken care of. There's just a lot of informal support that happens because we know each other, and uh, um, it's a very uh, enriched way of living. Mm. What what kind of mix was was involved in the actual planning of um, the Pioneer Valley uh, co-housing project, um, and how many are, are still there? Um, when you say mix, you mean mix of people? Yeah, or what, what kinds of folks, and, and um, are, are all of those uh, folks st still living there, or has there been some turnover? What's, what's that situation like? Um, we, uh, I've 
I'm aware of, uh, you know, there's about 200 uh, co-housing communities around the United States, either in functioning or in formation. And uh, we have one of the lowest turnover rates in our community. Um, we've probably sold, uh, out of our 32 units, I think we've sold about seven units. Some of those were because of uh, marriages that split up, although I'd say two of those couples actually stayed in the community. We were able to keep uh, parents local so the kids could stay local, um, uh, or because someone aged out uh, or needed to have a different situation where they had to move out of the area. So we've had a very stable um, population. We also keep maintain a very robust uh, waiting list of people so that when a house comes up for sale, we're usually able to accommodate someone who's interested in co-housing and Many of those people on the waiting list are actually what we call associate members, and they participate in the life of the community by coming to meals, coming to, uh, you know, we have house concerts and uh, contra dances and uh, different kinds of holiday celebrations, and so that those people participate in committees, in work days, in meals, so that we have a very extended community. Um, some of those people live in the nearby neighborhood. Um, the mix of people have been... Uh, Young families with children, uh, single parents, older empty nesters, both couples and, and singles. Um, in the beginning, it, it, it was a big attraction to a lot of single folks and empty nesters, but um, as the project developed, a lot of families found it to be really ideal um, for creating more support for raising children. And so we have a really good mix of that um, our children age, uh, we have two toddlers uh, and uh, elementary school kids, uh, high school teenagers, and as I said, uh, we have probably a dozen kids that have gone off to college. If we were to ask one of those high school kids what they like about um, Pioneer Valley co-housing, what do you think they'd say? Um, well, it, also, it, it, it depends on whether they <laughs> moved in here as okay. uh, older kids, but most of them... Um, really love that they have a built-in uh, group of kids that they can hang out with. A lot of them uh, socialize with each other, especially the kids who came in as young children or were born in the community. Um, even my daughter, who's 21 now, uh, had five or six friends in the community, as well as her friends that weren't there. And they could also bring the kids in and have um, social activities in the common house very comfortably without having it to be right in their own house. So right, right. that extended space facilitated a different kind of social um, experience and also a safe experience. Great. What were some of the um, challenges and opportunities that you faced as you actually went through the um, designing of the community process? Because that's where um, folks here in, Ellsworth, I mean in, in, in Belfast are now. They're in that design process. Mm -hmm. what, what, uh, um, what did you learn in that process? Um, Patience. <laughs> um, I think because it's based on a participatory form of decision-making, um, it takes more time, but that's also what created the bonding of people to care about each other. It's, it's very much like a relationship of a marriage or a parent-child relationship that um, it takes time. And so the work, the work that we had to do to design the community had a, a twofold purpose. One was to get the built environment figured out, but the other was to get to know each other and to work through differences and to really learn how to listen to each other. Um, so it, it created much deeper relationships. And I don't mean like my neighbors are my friends necessarily, but they're people that care about me and I care about them. And so I think 
working through those pieces and also developing new skills. Um, we don't have a culture that's about uh, interdependency, where we live in a culture of um, you know, individualism. And so I think that was probably the biggest challenge from a values place was to start to shift our thinking and our actions and our words into thinking cooperatively. You know, what's a design that's going to work for most of us? And, mm. and doing lots of letting go, mm. lots of letting go. We would talk a lot about, well, what's your bottom line here? And this is a leap of faith. And um, so it was, a, it was very exciting and challenging because we just didn't know how it was going to turn out. Right. Well, um, and I understand you're going to make a move soon. Yeah, um, I, my partner of eight years uh, has been a resident of Maine for the past 30. He's a homesteader from northern Maine at, outside of Holton and uh, did a commute for a long time between Maine and Massachusetts and finally moved into Massachusetts. But <laughs> we both love Maine, and we're looking for a place somewhere between Amherst and Holton. And uh, <laughs> Belfast, we've, we've always loved it. And uh, so this, I think, answers uh, a need for us to create a new home together. Great, great. Well, we'll, we may hear more from you later on in the program, but thanks so much for being with us. Sure. That's Diane Wiley. She's a a member of the Pioneer Valley Co-Housing Project and soon to be a member of the Belfast Eco Village. I'm joined here in the studio by Sana McKim and uh, Ann Halley, both uh, members of the uh, development uh, process of the Belfast Eco Village. Sana is the project manager and and Ann is an equity manager. Um, These co-housing projects, um, uh, Diane talked about 20 or more um, throughout the United States? or 200. 200, I'm sorry. Yep. There are, uh, I think 110 that are built and people are there. Mm-hmm. And there's another 100 or so that are like us that are in the development process. Okay. And so um, tell us about where you are in the process now. You, you purchased the land. There must have been, um, um, that, that was pretty exciting, I imagine, to get that piece of land. Yep, it was. Uh, there were four families back in April of 07 uh, that got together. Um, and, and I think we were fortunate that this piece of land just jumped out at us because uh, I know there are a lot of communities that, that come together and talk about this, but until you have something tangible, it's harder to, um, you know, to really see what it would be like and to keep going to weekly meetings about mm. this concept, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a balance there of, of the process of working together as a group and progress of making sure that things are moving forward because this is, you know, on top of kids and work and family and everything else. Right. That, that's a great segue. I, I, just been ruminating around in my mind it's like well what's the point of making this move and what's the point of making this commitment to doing this you know model of living that is not conventional right now and it and it's you know like you're saying it's not convenient it's a lot of work it's it's a real commitment in in your time and um you know what it's like the these homes that we're going to be building which is a great segue to to our next guest i think is um you know the point behind what we're trying to create is that it's a model for, for development, for one, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of land um, get used in very inappropriate ways, I think, certainly from an agricultural perspective. Um, land is not infinite, and we do need to preserve our resources. And so what is so attractive about this project to me is that we are incorporating um, not only farmland preservation, um, but also the best of current green technologies. You know, the homes that we are um, planning on building are going to be super energy efficient, um, s- simple, um, the most least intrusive um, impact on the land. We're, we're hoping to develop non-farmland land um, with slab-on-grade foundations, you know, um, so 
there's so many more benefits outside of um, the community aspect and the sharing and the co-housing part, but also um, in the specific dwellings that we're going to be building. Mm, strikes me as though, um, you know, we're so used to in our society of fast food and we've got the slow food mo- movement. Maybe you're talking about the slow housing <laughs> movement. It takes a while to develop a village yeah. um, as you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're joined now by um, Alan Gibson. Alan is going to be um, working or is working on the on the, the built environment. Um, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Alan. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in this project, and then we'll talk about the role that you're playing now. Well, I'm Sana's husband, so I've been learning about <laughs> co-housing from her for a long time. And we've been to Denmark, and I visited some communities there, so I've been excited about that idea. Uh, I've lived in community before for short periods of time and, and really thought it was a great way uh, to live. And um, so I've been excited about this project since we started looking at the land a year and a half ago. And what what role will you play um, as the project moves forward? Well, I'm a building contractor, and I've been doing high-performance, super-insulated buildings for a long time. And I'm working with uh, a partner, Matthew O'Malley, uh, from Belfast, on designs for some houses that we think will work uh, quite well with the co-housing community. Um, they are, as Anne was saying, uh, super energy efficient houses. Um, we, uh, you know, they were talking earlier about opportunities, and I think with building this community, we have a great opportunity to reduce our overall environmental impact by building houses and siting them in a way that uses land more efficiently and uses a lot less energy in the homes. Uh, buildings in the United States contribute to about, I think they use about 50% of all the primary energy. And that dwarfs transportation, for instance. So while we focus a lot on making our cars more efficient, if we make our houses more efficient, it's going to dwarf the energy that we save from transportation. So uh, what we're essentially doing is replacing oil-guzzling houses with hybrids. Mm. It's kind of the same analogy. Um, Presumably, most people who are going to buy into a a new co-housing house are going to sell a house that is probably not going to be anywhere near as efficient as what they're going to move into. So um, we're hoping to, in that way, you know, basically move people into a way of living that has a much lower impact on the environment. And I assume that in addition to providing that environment for the people who are members of the co-housing, um, you're also providing a model for others who might be interested but haven't seen it yet. Um, they haven't. Um, it's hard for them to picture what it might be like. So having this um, locally in Belfast is going to probably inspire others to, to take that route. Exactly. Uh, That's really true. I mean, um, we didn't talk about the mission of our community too much, but one of the tenets is that we create a model, as you're saying. And what we're doing is, you know, because we have like-minded people coming together, sharing this mission, we're building it for a mission and not necessarily for a market. Mm. And that's a big difference, and that's the opportunity we have, because everyone is, is on board with these concepts from the beginning. And even though the market forces are working in the favor of building, you know, more efficiently, it's not really there yet. So mm-hmm. we want to be way ahead of the curve, uh, which we think we can be. Great. Uh, Sana, why don't you talk a little bit about the mission of uh, Belfast Eco uh, Village? Sure. Um, our mission is to be an environmentally sustainable, 
affordable eco-village that's easily accessible to Belfast, includes land reserved for agriculture and open space, and is an innovative housing development model for rural Maine. And the, the key elements there are environmentally sustainable, affordable, um, farmland preservation and model. And model is really blended in a co-housing community. So it's all about community. It's all about people. But these people are about those elements. And um, in terms of being environmentally sustainable, there's the, there's the built environment. There's how the homes are built, how the common house is built, how they are uh, tightly clustered together so there's less pavement and, and uh, impermeable surfaces. Um, there's the, that's the site planning that we're actually heading into in November. Um, there's also going to be the pr prioritization of appliances and, you know, what is that supplemental heat that we need for the other 12% of our heating that's not done by the sun. Um, and, you know, ideas like having the community own one purely electric car powered by our so solar panels. You know, if the community owns one, then those of us who are like, do we really need two cars? You know, we're two miles from town. Do we need two cars? I mean, I drive my car you know, to work and it sits there all day and then I drive it home. Well, if I, if somebody dropped me off in a solar car on their way to grocery shopping, you know, maybe we could have fewer cars per family. Um, so, th so choices like that, that, that are, you know, high on our list around how do we do environmental sustainability in a way that's um, both really practical and fun mm. uh, and, and, and cost savings. Um, same thing for uh, having a farm right next door. I mean, the co-housing community is going to be on 30 acres uh, and it will be surrounded by farmland. And so we have a number of farmers that we're, that we're working with um, to see, you know, how we can make that match. But um, we're, we really want a, a good-sized um, vegetable CSA there um, and, and some animals so that um, we could, for instance, decide that each co-housing each co house comes with five years of a CSA share. You just don't have a choice. You buy it. Mm -hmm. It's there so that the moment you move in, you've got this car sitting there. You've, that you have a share and you've got a CSA that, you know, okay, I guess I should get over there and see what that farm's about. You know, you're building into our behavioral patterns um, things that are about environmental sustainability. Um, <clears throat> the uh, affordable aspect of our uh, um, mission is, uh, you know, not technically affordable necessarily. We don't know the exact house price just yet, um, but we have decided that we are doing um, simple uh, standardized homes, and we are uh, in the the best practice these days in co-housing communities is that you're doing a custom community, you're not doing a custom home. Mm. So we will get together and say this is exactly what we're all getting mm -hmm. as a two or a three bedroom home, um, and we you know may have a few uh, add-ons with an extra price tag on it, but that's the way that we can get sort of really good housing in bulk. Mm -hmm. um, Alan, Alan uh, tell us a little bit about what would go into that kind of uh, design process. What would you be thinking about in trying to come up with a, a model that not one size fits all necessarily, but one size that, that um, meets your goals for sustainability? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, what people who have been studying high-performance buildings for a long time have figured out is that it's always money better spent putting into the uh, insulated envelope of the house, the shell, rather than into mechanical systems. And if you couple a super insulated envelope with passive solar, um, you can reduce energy use by, you know, up to 90%. And that's the model that we're going for. And it's not necessarily much more expensive to do that because when you have such low energy use for heating, you can eliminate things like conventional heating systems and chimneys. 
and you're allocating the money in a different way. So it may not have as many fancy features as a high-end custom home, but in the long run, the energy use is going to more than pay for the upgrades to the shell. Okay. And what, um, what um, are the other design elements in terms of livability versus energy efficiency? What, what are you thinking about there? Well, they're going to be, you know, fairly compact, smaller footprint houses. We're looking at models from anywhere from 850 square feet to 1,800 square feet, which is significantly smaller than the standard 2,500 square foot house in the United States. So um, they're going to have basic open floor plan, a way to make a smaller house feel bigger, to have more open spaces, um, you know, kind of a one big open room that faces south with a lot of light. Um, and mentioned slab-on-grade foundations. That's a way to save money over a conventional basement, and that works very well to pass solar because it acts as a heat sink. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to look like a well-designed, nice, small house and be, you know, simple in form because in order to save money, you can't have lots of fancy, uh, you know, bump-outs and dormers and things like that. And how much will individuals um, be able to influence that, in the individuals who are uh, equity members, for instance, who are, are doing this planning? What's, what's the process of neg- kind of negotiating between, um, uh, you know, simple, functional housing and what people might say, well, yeah, that looks good and that feels good, but I'd like this. What's that process like? Yeah, well, that gets a little tricky, and we've done... <laughs> Some of that um, already, um, but as Sana mentioned, it in order to keep the cost down, it has to be a pretty standardized system, and we're going to have maybe two or three different sizes and a list of options so that people can choose different kitchens, they can choose different wall finishes, different siding, different colors, um, and people have, they have input into what's called the programming of the houses, what they want the houses to do. Right. Um, but it's pretty simple. I mean, it, it boils down to, you know, one, two, or three bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen, and one or two bathrooms. Um, but we'll talk about that as a group. You know, do we want to have one floor living on, in every house so that people can age in place? Um, so it's some, it's some give and take. It's a kind of a a combination of a traditional, you know, architect-client relationship and sort of designing by consensus. Right. What, uh, what other project? You said you've been to Denmark. You've been, are you impressed with, with any particular thing that, that jumps out at you from your visits? Well, um, we just did a tour of co-ops and communities in Western Mass with Diane, who was on the line earlier, and we visited four communities. And they're all very nice for different reasons. Um, I think the site planning is something that really um, sticks out after you visit them. And some are more suburban looking and some are more what I think interesting. I like I think the community where Diane lives is very interesting in the way the houses were sited. It's on a hillside. They're very compact. Um, if people have been to neighborhoods like Bayside and Northport or other places like that that had a unique development pattern based on smaller houses very closely clustered. It looks kind of like that. Great. 
Right. I talked with, uh, I think on this program before, uh, a fellow named Terry Kelly, who's head of the Mount Desert Island Housing Authority, and they're um, working on a co-housing model. And he, he was really um, interested as he began to gather potential um, uh, tenants or, or buyers in that. He, he found that people really um, were much willing to, more willing to live more closely together because they know each other. So uh, you're saying the same thing, living close together um, um, from a design standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, also from a community standpoint. Yeah, the social aspect is really important. I mean, we've gotten used to, and all of our sort of um, development practices in rural areas um, encourage people to put their house on either one or two acres. Right. And the nuclear family... um, you know, coupled with that, everyone's isolated. They're in their own little world, which, you know, is nice. But in the co-housing model, people live closer together. They're going to come, you know, have a lot more interaction, opportunities for creative things to happen. And we're sited in a, you know, an area with a lot of open space. So it kind of combines the best of both of those worlds. Yeah, I just had a a couple of quick thoughts. One is that the clustered, I mean, I have a number of friends that live in towns around the Belfast area that when we all had one and two year olds, we said, yeah, we'll watch each other's kids, you know, and then it became just a huge logistical nightmare to figure out who's dropping off who where, what time you're getting in the car, who's got to do it. And I noticed that we when we were at Pioneer Valley, I have a, uh, a seven year old who, you know, made instant friends with an eight year old there who was visiting his parents were going out to dinner or a meeting or whatever, and he was hanging out with uh, a woman probably in her 60s that lived in the community and was spending the night and having dinner and, you know, watching a movie together. And I thought, well, that's what we were missing was just the simple proximity. Uh, you know, that's a $50, $60 night. If Alan and I were to go out with babysitting, you know, and maybe eating a hot dog or something, uh, you know, that's, that's a, you know, part of the affordability too is if you if you're close together you don't have to drive everywhere you don't have to necessarily maybe you pay for babysitters but they're Mm -hmm. your neighbor Um, and the other thought I had was um, in terms of these we're in the development phase which is a really sort of risky expensive phase so uh, once people buy their houses own them have a mortgage on them then they can do whatever they want to the inside of their house they own it outright Uh, they can buy we buy and sell so Mm that so in a way I think of co-housing as sort of a a grown-up version of the communes of the 60s in a way that there's no shared economy Um, people we are in it together right now and Mm -hmm. we're in business together as developing this co-housing community it's real estate development so time is money and we have to figure out what that perfect balance is between involvement and making decisions so that the money that we're borrowing and and using to do this is is going to be less Um, but once people are in you know, then it's a condominium association. You own a condo, and mm-hmm. and if you really hate the color of that bathroom, you know, you change it. Nobody has to have any say about that. Alan, we're going to let you know go so that if other listeners um, want to call in, they can easily do so. Anything that you'd like to add at this point? Um, no, I think I'll just say goodbye and let someone else call. Okay, thanks so much for being with us this morning, Alan Gibson, who is the going to be the builder for the Belfast Eco Village. You can participate in this conversation about co-housing and local agriculture in Belfast um, and perhaps where you live by calling four six nine zero five zero zero. That's locally, or toll free one eight six six. 
625-9378. We're talking with Asana McKim, who's the project manager, and Ann Halley, who's an equity member and a farmer, um, about the Belfast Eco Village, which has progressed from buying land about a, uh, this time last year to the development stage. And um, when do you think you might be um, breaking ground, as they say? Um, is that a year off? Um, less than a year? Um, yeah, we uh, we're hoping uh, if our you know if we progress as we're planning on and the world economy doesn't crumble around us that um, we would be breaking ground next summer mm-hmm. and that we would be moving in hopefully by the end of 2010. Great, great. And how many folks are with you now? We have uh, 18 what we call equity members, and um, they put some money are, in. They put ten thousand dollars down mm-hmm. into the company that is that's sort of the pre-develop part of the pre-development okay. cost, um, and um, and then so we've got eighteen of those households. Um, one of them is in England. One is in Washington D.C. Uh, Diane's in Western Mass. Otherwise, interestingly, a lot of them are from towns right outside of Belfast. You mm. know, that just want to be closer to town. We've got some calls. Like, take those uh, calls, and then we'll come back. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, my name is Bob Tucker, and I live in Belfast. Um, first, I'd like to say that we're just amazingly enthusiastic to have the co-housing project come to Belfast. Uh, but most of all, I'd like to touch on the fact that we just uh, moved into a house in March that Alan uh, designed for us and built for us out on Route 7 just before the Waldo line. And um, from from the standpoint, it sounds it's it's quite similar to what some of the houses are going to be in the co-housing community. So if, if uh, which is an amazing thing, here it is today, without the heat running, it's 70 degrees, and we haven't had the heat running since we built the house. We tried it out once to see if the backup heat just worked, but um, uh, the month of February, it, it maintained an average of 64 without the heat on last February. So it's, it's an amazingly livable place. It's about 1,900 square feet, and we'd like to invite people who are interested in a co-housing project or what one of these places might look like to come take a look. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's, that's really great. So um, th- think of the, the savings. Uh, if, if the average house is, household in Maine is, is burning oil heat and that cost is somewhere between um, $3,500 and $5,500, um, that's annual cost. You're saying you haven't had to have the heat on at all. No, and that includes not lighting the wood stove. So that's without, you know, that's, that's thermonuclear heat and it's at its best. So that's, uh, and it's, and it's, uh, it's a brainless thing. It's not, you don't have to turn any switches. You don't have to think about, um, you know, how the system works because it's the system is the house itself and the, the envelope of the house that Alan was talking about and the slab on grade, the insulated slab on grade and, and, uh, the windows. And it's, and it's amazingly livable space. It's bright. It's open. Um, the windows are situated to the fact that when you're inside, you feel like you're outside because you have this wonderful panoramic view of everything. It's um, it's it's gone beyond all of our expectations. That's so. great. What about what about costs? Um, I can hear some listeners say, "Well, did that cost you a lot more money than the average house?" What, what, uh, how did that work for you? Not first of all, I will let you know that my partner and I, my wife and I, are both very modest income. Um, well under a hundred thousand dollars a year for a combined income and the house i'm going to say was about came out to about a hundred and ten dollars a square foot which is which is yeah which is you know if you if anybody's looked at building a house today um they'll find out that that's really um sort of under the 
under the average, the average is going to be 130 to $170 a square foot for, for an inexpensively built house. So, mm. And this house is not, I mean, uh, it's local materials. It's, uh, you know, everything came from from the area as much as we possibly could, local source, uh, pine floors upstairs from Robin's Lumber, the SIP panel that she, the house, were built right on a factory in Thorndike, just, just a few miles away. Um, so we... and. Uh, we did everything as, as close to home, including Alan, of course, who's actually right now a neighbor of ours. We're, we're going to be sad to see him move away to a little bit farther away. He's still going to be in, in uh, close by, but not as close. He's just about a half mile up the road from us in Waldo. Um, but uh, so even our contractor was was close, and all the all Alan's crew was was right in the area. So it was it was great to see that money circulate throughout the community and. And uh, we're benefiting from it. The community is benefiting from it. And this project is is that times, you know, 30. That's so, great. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Well, thank you so much. Um, you're, ta- you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're um, talking about co-housing and the concept that's being um, actualized in Belfast at the Belfast Eco Village. Sana McKim and Anne Halley are with us in the studio. We have another uh, listener. You can participate as well if you'd like to give us a call at one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. But do we have a listener? Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, uh, my name is Joe, and I'm from Rockland. Um, I've been very interested in co-housing for a number of years. Um, looked at the the one that just opened up in Burlington <laughs> was pretty interesting. A series of townhouses and and apartments, flats. Um, but there's also one in in uh, in Brunswick. Uh, it's been there quite a while, I think. Um, but what I'm concerned about is is that they they don't look like little boxes on the hillside um, because they're they're all the same with one builder and one design. I think that limits diversity. Now, wouldn't it be possible to <laughs> sell the lot, um, write a very strict set of, of building specifications? to include the energy efficiency that's super-insulated and so forth, but then let the owner either build it himself, herself, uh, contract with the builder, um, bring some, some diversity into the architecture of the place. That's um, a- that's a great question. What would you, I mean, so that, that would be um, important for you as a potential um, yeah. uh, buyer. Now, in, in Brunswick, um, the the, uh, the houses um, were uh, individually designed and built uh-huh. um, on the, on the lots. Um, <laughs> I don't think there was the focus. It was a few years ago on on energy efficiency and so forth. But but what I you know it's one thing to talk about the diversity of the community and the people in it, which is a great idea, and I I really like that and want to be a part of that. But I really want some diversity in <laughs> in aesthetics. And building, um, you know, a dormer is too expensive, or a turn a corner. Yes, it is. As a as a builder, I know that. But if someone's willing to pay for that, in that, and they still adhere to the specifications that that the community has laid out for the for the building, um, I think that would make a lot of difference, and it would make for a more pleasing aesthetic in a in a. Uh, nicer community. Well, thanks for your call and your opinion. Thanks very much. Okay. Thanks. Some response to this caller? Yeah, Sana? that's a great 
a great um, question, uh, and we struggle with it internally because we are used to, um, I mean, Alan built our house, and I look at it and go, God, that's a beautiful house. You know, why am I moving to this one that's going to look really like everybody else's? Uh, and I think there are trade-offs. Um, and in our case, our, we keep coming back to the mission, which is about environmentally, how do you get the absolute best product that's going to cost you the least amount? And this idea of buying in bulk is where we're coming back to. You know, if we have... Um, five or ten houses that decide they want to do something different, then we can't buy it. Then those 20 others are not going to get the benefit of buying 30 of those. Right. Um, and so there's the concept of buying in bulk. Um, there's also um, uh, there are trends out there. In the, and, and cohousing.org is the National Co-housing Association. So people are interested in looking at other communities and what they're doing. That's a great resource. Um, but there are trends out there. For instance, uh, Champlain Valley co-housing uh, outside of Burlington uh, did a combination. They have townhouses in rows, then they have single-family homes, and then they have lots. And they were pretty sure the lots would go like that, and then the homes, and then the townhouses, and it was actually the exact opposite, and they have lots left. And I think it's a, it's, you know, it is so all you're a you're letting the market de determine those, those kinds of factors, and so if a group of people wanted co-housing um, that everybody built their own house according to specific there's nothing to prevent that there is no right. that isn't part of the concept you you've made a decision about your project yeah, yeah and i think um two echo is the one in in brunswick that's been there for a while i think you know they had that they had a, a number of uh you could build your own house to these specifications um, but part of what happened is that they didn't end up building their common house until the end mm. because people were focused on their own homes. And so mm. one of those trends that says, how do you make a really good community to actually live in? And that's, that's the rub is, is this about the houses or is it about, you know, how we're going to interact together? That if you start out with a site and how we want to have our houses together and then you go to the common house and you leave the house at the end, then people are building community before they're getting into, but I want my house to have that bump out and I want my house to be on the edge. And, and, and people have built a little bit sort of togetherness so that right. uh, you're, you're, we're really focusing on the community first. And Alan and, and Matt won't say that because <laughs> they're designers and builders, but I, I think that's what we're really trying to do. Great. 1-800-1866, rather, 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500 as we talk about co-housing and local agriculture. And that's where I want to take our conversation next. Um, we have Santa McKinn and uh, Ann Halley here in the studio with us. Ann, um, tell us a little bit about your interest as, as, a, as, a, as a farmer in this particular project. And the, there's really two projects going on, as I understand it. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, a lot of what's driven me about the attractiveness of this whole project is this idea that we are going to be conserving a huge amount of land right within city limits. Um, you know, as our economy continues to travel in, into this downward spiral, um, the, the needs for locally based food economies is just going to increase. Maine has a vibrant, vibrant local food economy. And um, our hope is that this project is really going to propel that um, even further. Um, Sana mentioned the, the co-housers um, will own 30 acres together. And... Um, You'll own, you'll own your home, you'll own the earth that your home sits on, um, but you won't own necessarily a lot or a wedge shape or a square. Um, you'll own a collective. And um, so the homes are going to be clustered to about five to six acres. We're talking about 30 homes clustered to five to six acres. The remaining co-housing land, the remaining 25 or so acres, will be used for food production, orchards, um, 
um, space, you know, recreation space, open space, um, just the idea of whatever it is that people need in terms of land and space to make their um, lives more sustainable. And so outside of that 30 acres is the rest of the Keene farm, which is about 150 acres remaining. And um, that farm has um, been farmed by the same family for four generations, and it's been um, a dairy. And um, many people in the community remember when you could go to the farm and um, get your fresh, raw, unpasteurized milk right there out of the bulk tank. And um, so that, that whole idea of what this land means to the greater community is a huge part of what is attractive about the project to me. And I um, am really excited about working with um, Sana in the future um, to really um, figure out how do we make this land truly affordable to farming. And um, I think w a big reason that um, it, it's one of the, I'll say one of the challenges that um, farming faces currently is um, access to land and access to the affordability of land um, as um, development uh, puts pressures on the value of land. Um, increasingly, it um, increasingly that value sort of um, leaves um, this range of um, what's realistic for a farmer to be able to purchase land outright and then still have money left over to invest in the infrastructure needed to be a successful farming operation. Um, so we are really excited about um, um, working with probably multiple um, multiple what we call farmland preservation tools like um, agricultural easements or um, some sort of equity trust situation um, where um, you know basically those tools are used to get the price of the farmland down to something that a farmer can actually afford um, to purchase or to to have a lifetime lease on and then still have money left over to do the farming and so this piece of land um, as it relates to food production and the potential is huge to benefit the entire greater Belfast community, not just the co-housers. Um, and it's within two miles of downtown Penobscot Bay. Um, this this food could be transported there by foot, by horse, by mule. Um, we don't need cars bicycles, and right? bicycles. Right. We don't need right. cars, fossil fuels to make this food happen. We've got a couple more calls um, to, uh, to uh, try to get in. Uh, let's take the first call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hello, this is Yo in Tremont. Great. Thanks it for joining us. It just struck me that um, the process you described is very similar to the to the grants offered by the Crown to colonists here about 250 years ago, where they were told to construct a common house within five years hmm. in order to uh, have title to the lands. But I think, um, and aesthetics aside, you know, we we like aesthetic diversity, sure, but. What we're really talking about here is a complete reordering of society. And uh, during the medieval times, lands were held in what they call common. And everyone lived in a walled town, and all the lands around belonged to everybody. And the rise of uh, corporate structuring spread ownership throughout the land. And now all lands are owned, and the only commons we have are the roads. And the thing about the roads is you've got to keep moving. And otherwise, everything else is owned, and, and that's the mindset that people have nowadays. So, you know, it's an interesting idea to create an eco-village, but the most important idea there is getting it into people's minds that we can own things in common and not just turn them into a garbage dump. Great. And, and I hope that um, 
I hope that our listeners will be able to find a way to reestablish uh, respect for the commons in the American and the global mind. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for your call this morning. We have one more call. Let's take that call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, yeah, so this is John, and I'm wondering why there hasn't been any talk of full foundations, and uh, I'm just wondering why everybody's so infatuated with these slab on grade things. Great. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of them. They cause rot in the bottom of the building. It's too close to the ground. And Are I just think you, you can gain space in your cellar at, you know, 30 or $40 a square foot. So I'm just wondering why, if the Great. unless the site's all ledgy and it can't, you know, sustain this sort of stuff. Great. Well, let's let's get an answer to that. Thanks for your call this morning. Thank you, Sana. I have, I have two quick answers. Um, first, about the idea of the uh, shared space of the previous caller, I would just say that we are investing probably half of our time and energy into how we talk together and how because you have to have um, build the skill base to be able to have. Uh, good conflict resolution and communication skills mm. before you can share that rototiller. Because what if you're going to do that to it? I wouldn't do that to it. You know, that kind of And that's um, what Diane was saying when yeah. we talked about Pioneer Valley co-housing. It was developing the skills to work together in a new new yeah. way, perhaps. That, that, you know, they aren't exactly extinct, but the average person walking down the street, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's we're all working on that skill mm-hmm. set. Um, but in terms of slab on grade, I don't know if Alan or Matt are going to call in, but um, I would say that it's about cost and efficiency, and um, it is a heat sink for the sun um, and you know I live in a slab on grade and we haven't had any problems we don't have a basement that's leaky or you know has any problems so I think that technology part of what uh, we're benefiting from right now is that the green building um, movement has just put uh, you know all kinds of opportunities out there so that um, you know I, I mean we yeah, so a slab on grade maybe 50 years ago or, t- or 20 years ago or might 10, have yeah. had, had some problems with it. But sure. those are engineering problems, and in, in, in your yeah. view, you're going to solve those engineering. Well, they have been solved. They have been solved. Right. I mean, it's right. proven time and again. If you do it right, it's, uh, it's just a great, less expensive option. Great. We probably have time for one or two more calls, one 625 9378 if you've got questions or comments or your experience about co-housing and local agriculture in Maine. We do have a, a call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, I called earlier about the slab on grade, and you, you can do an overpour and just have a, a, a more efficient form of thermal heat because you're not heating a huge amount of concrete, so it's a lot quicker recovery. And it's done all the time. You can have a totally dry, insulated styrofoam block foundation, and you're you're getting living space for a lot less. Okay. So anyway, just just look into it. Great. Thanks for your call. Hey, thank you. Ann? Yeah, um, you know, so many people, people within the community bring up that, you know, like we need basements, and I've had a basement for so many years, and, and I, I really, you know, all the points you brought up are very valid, and, and thank you but for bringing those But what are we putting in basements? Up. Washing machines, right? And you're going to have another place for washing machines. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not putting down basements. We're, we're talking about um, having actually a basement underneath the common house, uh-huh. um, you know, exactly for those things you're talking about, um, seasonal storage of um, you know, um, equipment and bikes and tool shops and, you know, laundry facilities. And um, exactly, basements serve great purpose. Um, root cellar is a huge one. People um, want to be able to have um, cool food storage. And so, um, base, you know, basements are great. Um, I think that we are choosing 
slab and grade foundation um, for those attributes that we get out of that, the energy efficiency, um, the, the lesser impact on the earth, and just the cost, just the mm. cost, you know. I agree. I know that you're you're saying um, thirty to forty dollars a square foot living space. That's absolutely true. Um, but what we're talking about is overall excavation cost and quickness of the project and timing and things like that. Great. We're almost at the end of the hour, so I want to give you a chance to talk about a, um, an upcoming event. Uh, Chuck Dorette is coming to Belfast. When when's that happening? On Friday evening, uh, November 14th, Chuck uh, and Katie were the ones who brought co-housing um, here. They're, they are architects in California, and uh, we have the good fortune of having Chuck come and talk. Um, it's a public presentation at the University of Maine Hutchinson Center Friday evening. Uh, and for more information, you can go to, well, probably the best thing to do is to call our office at 338-9200. Um, we're working on our website at the moment, so you can try checking that out, which is www.maincohousing.org. Um, but don't count on that as the latest information. <laughs> Just give us a call. Phone number again? 338-9200. Great. Well, let's, let's think about the future. If we were to visit the site in two to four years of time, what would we see? What would we see? Anne first? Well, um, I think that you know, immediately upon parking your car and walking into the community, um, what you're going to see is um, a lot of green space, a lot of garden space, um, edible landscape, um, mature trees. It's going to look very much like an established um, neighborhood, a very cozy and inviting neighborhood. Um, I think that the lead on that defining characteristic is not going to come from the homes. Like some, some callers, you know, talked about wanting that individuality of the homes. But that the characteristic and the warmth and the feeling is going to come from the layout how the homes are oriented to each other, and the common house. Um, they're going to come from the sense of um, foot traffic, that, that's, um, that it, you know, it's the pedestrian walkways that sort of take you through um, the neighborhood, and um, that the defining, and the, um, the defining characteristics between the homes are going to be determined by um, color and types of exterior skin or siding, as it's usually called. Great. Um, how about you, Santa? What would you invite us to see in two to four years' time? I think when you walk in that community, you'll see people who are excited and can't stop talking about, one, yeah, it was a lot of work. You hear that a lot. Um, but also just how great it is. Um, hopefully you'll see lots of kids, families, a really good diverse mix of, of folks outside a lot, you know, gardening, helping each other out, um, shoveling, giving each other a ride, you know, communicating, hanging out in the common house where hopefully we'll have a big Russian stove or something, cozy, making a meal together, inviting people in. Right. And you're still looking for um, equity uh, partners. So how we, would they contact you? Just yep. using the phone number same, again? Yep, same number. We have a level of a few levels of membership. So we have what we call a friend, which just means you're on our, web, on our email list and we'll send out e-newsletters updating you on the project. That doesn't cost anything. Then we have an exploring member, which is 250 per household. means you're checking us out mm -hmm. um, and you can get involved in committees and all that. And equity. So, yeah, give us a call, 338-9200. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. 
Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests uh, who included Diane Wiley and Alan Gibson by phone and Sana McKim and Anne Halley from uh, the Belfast Eco Village Project and we're so glad that they could be with us this morning. Thanks to our underwriters at Maine Community Foundation and special um, appreciation for Meredith Jones who's just uh, achieved a really wonderful leadership position in that organization. We're happy for her and for the organization. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Good morning.